James chapter 1, 19 to 22, number 3. James 1, 19. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. But be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Father, it is the burden of my heart this Lord's Day morning that we would all, as a flock, understand precisely what it means to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And may we, in the reminder of that precise definition as illustrated in the scripture, may we then exercise ourselves to trust and to obey, lest we be deceived. This we pray in Jesus' name and for his blessed sake. Amen. The sermon this morning is very short. It'll only take a few minutes. The scripture reading this morning is long, and it'll take up considerable time. But our approach this morning is purposely different as we work with the third and final emphasis of this little section, namely, verse 22, be ye doers of the Word. Believers in this context are to perpetually receive the implanted Word of God in them sensibly, in purity, with humility, in the light of God's flawless goodness. Flawless goodness, verse 17, and God's begetting of the child of God by the Word of Truth, verse 18. Believers then are commanded to receive as a primary command, the implanted word, verse 21, and in that reception they are to do so sensibly, verse 19. Furthermore, the believer is to receive the word in purity, laying aside or rejecting all sinful defilement, and with humility or meekness before God, verse 21, God who is the begetter, God who gave us life, upon whose choice you and I are saved. We just sang about that. Thus we have taught you previously that we must receive the word sensibly, in purity, with humility. And now we want to connect those thoughts to the familiar verse 22. I like what John Phillips has to say here. He says there's something to reject, filthiness of the flesh, something to receive, the implanted word, and something to resolve, 
to be a doer. Reject the filthy, receive the favor, resolve to be faithful. I like that. How many of you have never heard a sermon or a devotional on James 1.22? You've never heard one. You've never heard anybody speak or preach on be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. <laughs> I mean, we probably all have by the time we're four or five or six, if we're around the context of a church. Be ye doers is an imperative that is oft repeated. And so I'm taking a little different approach so that maybe this morning you and I will hear verse 22 a little differently. So let's first hear James 1:22 through the lens of Matthew chapter 7. Turn to Matthew chapter 7 and uh, I will begin reading at verse 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have we not cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. Join me then in 1 Samuel 15. 1 Samuel 15, and follow along as I read for you verses 1 to 15. 1 Samuel 15, 1 to 15. Samuel also said unto Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way which he came up from Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have and spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep and camel and ass. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telelem, 200,000 footmen, 
and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and laid wait in the valley. And Saul said unto the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For ye showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to Shur that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of Amalekites, alive, and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatlings and of the lambs and of all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuge uh, that they destroyed utterly. Then came the word of the Lord unto Samuel, saying, It repenteth me that I have set up Saul to be king, for he has turned back from following me, and hath not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel, and he cried unto the Lord all night. And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place, and is gone about, and passed on, and gone down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said unto him, Blessed be thou of the Lord, I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What meaneth then this bleeding of the sheep in mine ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? And Saul said, uh, They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice unto the Lord God and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. Acts 26. Acts 26. I begin reading at verse 4. I'll read through verse 19. Then Agrippa said, I'm sorry, that's verse 1. Verse 4. My manner, Paul's manner of life from my youth, which was at the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most straightest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Paul lived, a, Paul lived a very religious life. He lived as a Pharisee among Pharisees. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. Unto which promise are twelve tribes instantly serving God day and night, 
hope to come. For which hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. Why should it be thought a thing incredible with you that God should raise the dead? I verily thought within myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice or vote against them. Think Stephen. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly mad, angry against them, I persecuted them even unto strange cities. Wherefore, or whereupon, as I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest at midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saw, saw, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them, which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. We read Matthew 7 simply to remind you that the Lord Jesus in his manifesto clearly taught that being a doer of the word is likened to a man who builds his house upon the rock. Right response to the word of God is therein illustrated and is therein specified. We next read the case of King Saul and Agag in 1 Samuel 15, 
being a doer of the word is negatively illustrated by the actions of King Saul. Every child here knows the answer to these questions. What did God say to Saul? Answer, destroy all that they have and do not spare them. What did Saul do? He destroyed all but one man, King Agag, and kept only the good animals, but listen to this, it will be in sacrifice to God. We'll have fun at church. We'll do what we want to do, but it will please God. It'll be good for God. I'm sure it'll be good for God because I thought of it. We'll do what we really like, but we'll do it in the name of the Lord. James calls that deceiving your own self. Saul not only heard the word of the Lord, but the strangest thing is, is that he believed that he had obeyed it. Saul not only heard it, but he actually was of the opinion that he had obeyed it. That should scare you. That should scare me. Saul is just like the people in the Lord's account who said, Lord, Lord, we served you. We attended. We participated. Saul thought he had received the word of the Lord, but as Samuel tells him, he had indeed rejected the word of the Lord. You and I know that partial obedience is disobedience. Now the best question here is, where did Saul go wrong? And listen to this. He pursued what he considered to be positive. Modifying the clear word that came from God. Saul presumed to find something good. Listen, he presumed to find something good in what God had totally condemned. He kept the best of what God hated. He kept the best of what God hated. He kept the best of what God hated. He even proposed to serve God with the things that God hated. Just think of that. And think of the modern tendency in the same sinful inclination of thought and emphasis, even in regards to local church ministry. I and Thomas, 
from the other side of the pond, wrote, God, it seemed to them, was taking things too far. His judgment upon Amalek seemed to them to be unwarranted, a somewhat fanatical exaggeration of the issues. And so, in defiance of God's word, God's mind, God's will, and God's judgment, they tried to discern between good and bad in what God had wholly rejected. They tried to find a little good in everybody. They tried to find the good in everything. It is comparatively easy to be sorry for what you have done and to recognize the sinfulness of sins committed. But we are by nature loath, says I and Thomas, to concede the natural depravity of what we are and the total spiritual bankruptcy of man without God. We fall again and again and again and again into the error of estimating ourselves without due regard to the ultimate origin of righteousness or the ultimate origin of sinfulness. All things right. God and God alone. All things wrong. Me. For me, me. For you, me. No. You. For me, me. For you, you. Now here's a good sermon title. Me, me, you, you. Here's a sermon that says me, me, and you, you. You can figure that out. No one, dear friends, knows better what actual righteousness and good is than God. Satan's genius is revealed in that he tempts us to piously dedicate to God things that are nothing more than the works of our flesh. It's my sermon, God, you bless it. That never works. It's my offering, oh God bless it, that never works. It's my service, oh God bless it, it never works. Never. Saul was rejected as Israel's king because of his disobedience. But the consequence of his being a hearer of the word only and his self-deception go far beyond that as all the adult students in Bible educational hour studying the book of Esther now know. And I would just remind you that long after King Saul's experience an opportunity to take out the Amalekites and King Agag that there was one of the lineage of Agag, an Agagite, and his name, of course, was Haman, as Bill so wonderfully taught us a couple of weeks ago. In the strangest twist of all, when Saul, King Saul, was wounded in battle, it was an Amalekite that just happened to be passing by and happily responded to the king's self-serving request to commit suicide. 
This is why when David heard of Saul's demise from the lips of that very Amalekite that killed King Saul, that David immediately got up and slew him. That man should have been slain in the loins of his father or grandfather. I haven't taken the time to figure out which. The principles of Psalm 916, as taught the adult Sunday school class last week, are herein applied. God is known by his judgments. Don't be like Old Testament Saul. No, you should be like New Testament Saul. Or more commonly called among us, Paul. So we read Matthew 7. As you hear the Lord Jesus speak to the clarity of what it means to be a doer of the word. And then we read 1 Samuel 15 uh, as a negative example of, of what it means to be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. And then we land finally, before we return to um, at James 1, we land finally in, in Acts 26. And we read the case of the Apostle Paul giving his testimony before King Agrippa. Uh, and, uh, and we would cite him as a positive example of what it means to be a doer of the word. Saul, better known to us as Paul, stood before the king en route to standing before Caesar. He relates his testimony of active service B.C. He first relates his active service, his active doing, doings, religious doings as a Pharisee, he first relates to King Agrippa his active doings before coming to Christ. And uh, uh, he says that he was active, active, active. He was a doing, 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 doing kind of a Baptist guy. All about doing. All about making things. All about sending things. All about buying things. All about doing things. Do, 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 do. And then, of course, he was doer. He was a doer. He was a good doer. But he wasn't a doer of the word. He built his entire life upon the things that he heard uh, from God, ultimately, after meeting Christ, and not before. He positively illustrates the command of James in being a doer of the word in the sense that after the encounter on the Damascus Road, after the Lord Jesus was recognized for who he is and for what he did, after the apostle saw or Paul had indeed understood something of the Lord's commissioning him, Saul was able to say, to King Agrippa, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision that the word of God living spoke to me as the word of God in truth. I did it. I'm a doer. 
I'm a doer of the word. Now, it's pretty simple that you and I are to follow the example of New Testament saw, not Old Testament saw. Both men were Jewish and fully acquainted with the word of God written in their day. Both men were from the tribe of Benjamin. Both men were selected and confronted by God. Paul met Jesus. Saul met Samuel. The one failed. The other succeeded as a doer of the word. The key is that Paul was a doer of the word. Not just a doer, but a doer of the word. While Saul was a hearer only of that word. Paul was diligent. Saul was deceived. Paul pleased God. Saul presumed upon God. We live in a generation where the clear, bold line between reality and fantasy is often blurred. Think of the former wide receiver for the Detroit Lions, Herman Moore, who distinguished himself greatly on the field and play back in the day, of course, playing in the NFL. There was a period of time when I lived out of state, still rooting for the Detroit Lions, but living out of state, when Herman Moore was about the only guy I could feel good about on the entire Detroit Lions team. Uh, Herman Moore, of course, is now long retired from football, long retired from the NFL, but Moore is currently a spokesman for one of the numerous gambling sites that plague us here in Michigan with their incessant advertising. Uh, the tagline of Moore's pro-gambling advertisement is, quote, stay in the game. And at one point he says, I have stayed in the game. He erroneously testifies that he is still in the game of football because he now bets money on the game. He then tempts others to join him with the lie that they too can be in the game of football by betting. So here's my question. It's really heavily theological. What does it then mean to be a football player. How do you define a football player in the midst of that mess? Or in society, how do you define a man? Or how do you define a woman? Or how do you define anything? When all the clear lines established by God have been blurred by our use of terminology to make ourselves feel like we are 
gods. The reality of being a football player is undermined by all those current fantasies. There is, to my chagrin, as one that played a little football, there should be the Ben chagrin, as one who is playing a little football now, uh, uh, there's a chagrin that uh, people think they have played football because they're in a fantasy league or because today they bet, bet on a game. I do not hate to tell you, I do not hate to tell you that even if you win your fantasy football league, you should not call yourself a football player. <laughs> even if you win a million dollars because you bet right on the game, you should not call yourself a football player. Likewise, the definition of reality and relationship with Christ is undermined by Christian fantasies. The Christian reality is doing the Word of God. The Christian reality is doing the Word of God. The Christian reality is doing the Word of God. The Christian fantasies all involve hearing only. Be ye a doer of the Word. Don't just embrace the facade of Christ but rather trust and obey. The reality of Christianity is found in its doing. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own self. And so the text, James 1, 19 to 22, uh, uh, can be understood as uh, that you and I should reject the filth of sin, that we should receive the favor that God has brought to our lives and that God is bringing to our lives as we study the written record that God has given of his son. Reject, receive, and finally, we ought to resolve to do. We ought to resolve to practice Christianity and Christ in faithfulness. And that brings us right back to that emphasis that we have been singing in conclusion of this hour right along. I own no other master. My heart shall be thy throne. A resolution to live a life connected to living. Though we're saved by faith, James will teach us that faith without works is dead. May God help us to be doers of the word and not hearers only, for the hearer only is self-deceived. Father, help us not only to understand but to embrace 
and to be rightly responsive to thee inwardly, outwardly, upwardly, and about. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.